What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. I am Ian. I'm joined by my big brother, Sean, as always. Sorry for the hiatus, but Sean, we have an exciting guest today. Yeah, man, this new job is kicking your ass. Eh? We can't, can't even get a, a podcast a week in out of you right now, but you gave me my hockey one before. I keep trying to get more hockey people on, but basketball keeps calling us. So we have the host of the Chase Down podcast, Justin Rowan. Justin, thank you so much for joining us, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, boys. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you also did a very veteran move there, Sean, as you uh, worked an ass into that first bit of the podcast. So now I know that I can cuss a little bit. Exactly. On that's, that, exactly. That's, that's a really savvy move. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm sure pe- parents driving around with their kids in their cars aren't appreciating it, but it's about the guest, Justin. It's about the guest. And <laughs> because it's about the guest, we we are going to get to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going to get to the, the, the greater NBA league at large. I got my maroon on for the Cavaliers just for you. But we talked to you a little bit before the podcast. And there was something. We were going to save it to the end. But why wait till the end when we can bring up a brand new topic on the From the Stands podcast? Because the CFL and the XFL very rarely, if ever, make their way into our podcast. Now, we Mm -hmm. are not anti-CFL. We really appreciate the heritage. And honestly, the the fandom, right? It's one of the closest things, in my opinion, that we have to college sports in Canada for the the absolute drive and passion that those fans have, especially out West and and, in in Central Canada. But there was some news. It looks like a potential partnership merger between the the XFL and the CFL. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is involved. His ex-wife or girlfriend is involved. There's a lot going on. So I wanted, listen, open mic. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? You're hurting me right at the start of the podcast. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's very disappointing. It's uh, something that is freaking me out. I'm a little worried about it. Um, I worry about what this means for the CFL. Uh, Obviously, it makes sense for the XFL. Uh, Get a little bit of talent uh, because I don't know if you guys watched any of those games. Not a lot of talent on the field. Uh, It's just very concerning to me because I I think going away from three down football and going to either the XFL or NFL rules, it it changes the sport. It's a it's a completely different game at that point. And I I think it's obvious that that would be the direction they'd go if they have to change rules, because uh, you you know, the the Americans, it's a lot easier to kind of shrink the CFL field than it is to widen the stadiums and the the arenas uh, for the XFL. Um, It's it's just very, very concerning. And as someone that's been a a season ticket holder of the Bombers for about a decade now, I, I think it would break me. I, I think I, I wouldn't be able to root for the league anymore. Strike two. Strike two, Ian. Muted again. Strike two with <laughs> so, the new guest. You've never so, done this before, ever. I forgot the, to press the, record once. You've muted yourself twice now. So th- this is what I got to ask you, though, right? Yes. Is Does any part of this help with the viability of the league moving forward in terms of finances? Because... I think what you saw with the XFL was because of, you know, sort of the nostalgia surrounding the XFL and because it's, you know, football in America, they did still get a fair amount of eyeballs. Maybe not enough, obviously, to be a real thorn in the side of the NFL. But do you Mm -hmm. think any part of this has to do with the fact that the CFL would maybe like to widen their audience? I think that has some of it to do with it. Uh, I, I think the the CFL actually does good numbers in the States uh, when it is on TV. And I, I think some of that is it's unique, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think that this is financially motivated. Uh, you, you look at when COVID first hit and they had to cancel their season, they were looking for a federal bailout, but they refused to release any of their financials and didn't get the bailout as a result of that. So I, I think this is kind of their way of recovering from that. I do think that it dooms it to fail. Because I, I don't think uh, the United States cares about minor league football, especially if it's basically the same rules. Um, it It's not going to excite them in the same way. So for me, what it's going to do is you introduce all these different teams, you spread across the CFL talent. It's going to dilute the, the talent pool of the league overall. And because Americans like, I don't think they're going to care about like I think a lot of the times in the states what people like is the tailgame they like the fantasy football they mm-hmm. like the tradition of it more than the football itself like I think that's what it really comes True. down to so I don't think the XFL is going to have that kind of a reach 
if it does merge with the CFL, I don't think it's going to reach either way. I, I think the way that this plays out is it keeps the league alive for a couple more years than it would have if the CFL stayed on its own and then it dies and football, professional football in Canada is dead at I, that point until Toronto gets an NFL team. I, I, I'm very, I'm not anti that idea, but mm-hmm. I think that ship sailed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think that's coming anytime soon. Yeah. And I'd be shocked if that did happen now, but I think you did hit the nail on the head. Everyone says the, US, the United States loves football. Yes, they love football, but they love national football league football. That, that's I, I bet you there's more people that play fantasy than actually watch the games. Like yeah. it's like I play NFL fantasy and I don't watch. Like I, I find the American football product very difficult to watch. Because there's like when, with bad quarterback play, it is a difficult, difficult it, thing to swallow. It's also just a really slow game. You change to four downs, all of a sudden teams like outside of if you have like a Patrick Mahomes, outside of that, you are going for three, four yards every single play because you are playing risk adverse football. And it's like it's improved a little bit, but for the most part, it is a slow, slow game. And I just hate the longer play clock as well. Uh, you, you get it to two minutes and you can kneel out the rest of the game, whereas the CFL, the play clock doesn't start until you're under center. It's a shorter play clock. You actually have to go out there and win the game. It's like the Elam ending in basketball. You actually have to go out and win <laughs> the damn game. Uh, so it to me, it would be very, very disappointing. I understand it. Um, I, I think this is an example of what a bad commissioner can do for a league, and, and that's why they're in the point, uh, the position that they're in. Who, who, I think your best case scenario that would actually keep me somewhat engaged is that it turns into baseball, where you have basically two divisions that play by different rules, and you get weird crossovers and things oh, like that. Maybe, right. maybe I would keep some interest there. But it, what it really feels like is this merger is basically betting on, well, if we change to four-down American-style football, maybe uh, people in Toronto will start thinking that it's cool because then it's kind of more like America, and Toronto's not going to happen. Feel, yeah, Toronto can feel more like America, no. and uh, we'll, we'll lose. That's Winnipeg. a good jab, though, at, at Toronto. Though that's a that's a subtle jab, but it's a good Th- one. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we'll we'll lose like Winnipeg, but Saskatchewan has nothing better to do, so they'll support the Riders even if they're playing lacrosse. And maybe we get Vancouver as well, and some fans in the states, and that offsets what we lose in the Prairies. Who knows? Maybe that's the way it goes. But to me, it's disappointing. Well, you're t- you're look you are talking to two fans of the nfl we enjoy the product we enjoy watching it again that's more what we were brothers we grew up watching that more so so it's just it, again this stuff is subjective what that's i, why do I gotta hope- get my toronto jab in i, I, I need hey, to i need we're needle here. you at the start because you you made me you made me start here this is this exactly. is the spot you put me in and trust me we scream it at the highest rooftops of telling people in toronto like forget what americans think about you Trop, stop trying to to appease to them like just relax but if this does, because the CFL is so ticket driven in their revenue, mm-hmm. if this does give them a couple extra years to potentially kick this down the road and hopefully come out of this, we've already seen the XFL fail twice, went to auction to sell the third for the for a third go around. Again, uh, we are praying for you. Thanks. These two fans will still most likely watch the NFL. Just just for your own opinion. Yeah. But hey, yeah. that's what we that's what we appreciate. And s- let's get to basketball. Let's pivot here, Justin. And I went back. You know, on uh, Fear the Sword, I'm clicking next, 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 trying to get back 98, 99 pages to get back to where it started. And I got you in 2013. Mm -hmm. And you started with the Cavs. How does a kid from Winnipeg get started writing for the Cleveland Cavaliers? How do we get here? I mean, you guys would know this better than anyone as uh, Torontonians. Uh, Winnipeg is kind of Cleveland North. Like when, when you talk about fan base mentality, the way the city gets talked about, curse sports history, um, both cities lost their favorite team and got that team back, uh, whether it be the Jets and the Browns. Um, like it, it, I, I grew up a Cavs fan um, dating back to, to when LeBron was there the, the first time around. And after the decision, I was sitting there and I was like, man, like all my formative years of basketball, like I, I, at that point, I was watching like 82 games a year of the Raptors as well, watched all the Cavs games uh that i could uh cats were kind of the number one priority i was like is my loyalty going to follow lebron to south beach am i going to take my uh my loyalties to south beach and it did i uh i doubled down on cast fandom uh i found that in that pain i identified with the city more than ever 
And I just became more and more invested. And that's when I started uh, reading uh, at Fear the Sword, uh, blogging uh, for them as well, eventually uh, turned into that then podcasting. And it's just kind of spiraled to this point where I am today. I'm loyal to a fault. Maybe that's what it comes down to where I'm like, you know what? No, my loyalties are staying with Cleveland, but uh, it's worked out for me. I I love being a fan of the team. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a fan of the NBA. I, I love all the teams I root for all the players I, I just I like basketball when it comes down to it I just happen to like the Cavs a little more than anyone else I I do appreciate that sort of stick to though because you know as you can understand Sean is a massive Toronto Maple Leafs fan and there's just a lot of really dark days and look <laughs> like if you're a Cavaliers fan like dating back I mean it hasn't been Yes, 2003, the game changed, but it, it really hasn't been a smooth ride. I mean, it's not like you're supporting the Lakers or the Celtics here. Um, so I have to say, being in that mode, you followed the Cavs, but what allowed you to stick with it? You know, post LeBron, when he leaves, you know, what allows you to stick with it? Are you looking at Kyrie going, wow, you know, we can still have something here or is it mm-hmm. something bigger than that? Yeah, I mean, certainly Kyrie helped. Uh, there was that next year where they lost 20-plus games in a row there, and uh, that that was a very difficult season. Uh, one of the first things I did after the decision was buy a Booby Gibson jersey because I'm like, I needed a Cavs jersey that isn't LeBron. Ooh, wow. <laughs> he, I, used, I grew up a Piston fan. Yeah. Like my dad, oh, yeah. He fucking torched us. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. That's exactly why. It is the jersey you wore in that game. Uh, oh, <laughs> no. I, he put I, you guys away. We were both at the build in the building for mm-hmm. game, was it game five, Ian? When he, when uh, well, LeBron scored, you know, 28 yeah, straight 29 points. 29 of 30. 20, 29 of 30. 30. And it's just, and, and then the only other guy making buckets is Booby. It's just, yeah. Oh. Yeah, ne- next yeah. game, Booby put him away. I have That's both right. of those jerseys. I got the the LeBron jersey that uh, that uh, I guess purplish bluish thing uh, that they were wearing in, in that game in Game Five. Then I got the Booby Gibson home white uh, for Game Six. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, after that point, like you just kind of get invested in it. Um, at, at that time, uh, you, you're kind of hoping for something to get you excited. The following year, they draft Tristan Thompson, highest drafted Canadian at that point. So that certainly helped things out. Kyrie, I, I enjoyed. Um, it kind of took until maybe his second season where I was all the way in and and one of the uh, leading disciples of the book of Kyrie at that point. And, and things were kind of fun from there. So uh, it's... I, I enjoy the process. I, I enjoy kind of the the whole team building philosophy and, and kind of the ebbs and flows of a team. So I, it's just, I, I find sticking with the Cavs, it has an impact on my ability to enjoy the rest of the league and, and to uh, enjoy the product as a whole. So yeah, there, there are lean years where maybe uh, I, my basketball watching that I do for pure enjoyment is spent on other teams, but I'm still watching every single Cavs game multiple times often uh, to trying to break down what's going on. And uh, I always have a problem solving mind. I'm always thinking of what the next steps are. So during those lean years that you talk about, Mm-hmm. Obviously, we talked about Booby Gibson. Obviously, you're a big fan, two jerseys. I mean, you can't get much bigger of a fan than that. But during those lean years, is there anyone that you hung on to and was like, you know what? I really believe this guy is a player. Ooh. And it just never worked out. You know, is it Anthony Bennett or is it something? Is it somewhere a little deeper than that? Is there say- one guy that you just, you can't? And obviously, you know, Booby's out. You know, we, we recognize the Booby love. But is there a guy that you point to, you're like, I can't give it up. I can't give him up. Can't say Kevin Porter Jr. either. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I, I'm rooting for <laughs> KPJ because that he is absolutely was the most talented uh, of the Cavs yep. young group. Um, I, I hope for nothing but the best with him there. Um, hopefully Houston works out for him. Um, so you're talking about historically, is there a guy that uh, I felt that way about or a guy I feel now? No, like a guy like during those lean years, you remember watching and you're like, you know what? I think that guy can be a star. And for whatever reason, mm. year after year after year after year, it just kept not happening. Was there a guy that you just, you couldn't quit? Yeah. So Anthony Bennett does not count. Um, I almost got into a <laughs> fight at a bomber game uh, after he was drafted and everyone's in my ear. Oh, first Canadian go first overall, going to your favorite team. You must be so excited. No, I'm fuming fuming mad i I wanted auto porter jr i think Uh, (laughs) um but uh i guy that i believed in that 
didn't pan out. Uh, one that jumps out to me right away is JJ Hickson. Um, mm, good one. Good one. Yeah, I I was a big believer in his athleticism and what he could bring to the table. I mean, he was really good uh, for a while there as a rim runner alongside LeBron. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. things could have worked out a little better if he had uh, better spacing or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, especially after he left, um, I was a believer in JJ in that first year. After that, uh, I was pretty ready to move on. Uh, <laughs> especially with Tristan Thompson coming in to, to fill that void. And uh, I was a big uh, Tristan believer. So that got me very excited and helped me move on. Uh, but JJ is certainly the one that sticks uh, sticks out in my mind. Before we move to the actual 2020-2021 season, you start in 2013. Mm-hmm. Since then, it has been an endless turnstile of storylines surrounding right. the Cleveland Cavaliers, whether it's the return, whether it's the championship runs, the, the endless straight titles. You have multiple people coming in and out of the franchise that are here for either a cup of coffee or just to appease LeBron. Is there a storyline that isn't, you know, the title or LeBron returning and his potential exit? So like the, the three that are covered the most, mm-hmm. is there a storyline that sticks out to you that you're like, God, I'm so happy I could cover that. <laughs> uh, a storyline that hasn't been brought up enough that kind of sticks out to me. Do you guys remember that Kyrie and Dion had a press conference to talk about how they don't hate each other? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh that God, was great. Right. Oh my God. That was fantastic. Because uh, there was the <laughs> early season issues. And it was reported that Dion had punched Kyrie in the face because he he uh, had to wear a mask and his face got all messed up. People forget he got elbowed in the game and left the game. Uh, so that's what actually happened. I think the confrontation was even between uh, Dion and Tristan, not even uh, Dion and Kyrie. But yeah, that that continued for throughout the whole year to the point where they had to call a press conference for them to talk about how they don't hate each other. That to me stands out as just such an amazing, amazing moment in Cavs history and made even better by the fact that it was the chapter two of Mike Brown. <laughs> I I have to say the Dion Waiters thing, you know, you take Kyrie, I think in 2011, right? And Waiters is the following year. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine watching those two guys and being the GM and being like, this seems like, like it'll work. Mm, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was like the really depressing version of Sexland. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. just gonna say you, that. <laughs> you guys, you guys might. Well, I mean, part of why uh, I started pushing the Sexland thing uh, basically after Garland got drafted last year, I started catching on this year, which is fun. Um, but it was, hey, these guys can be a duo. You don't have to pit them against one another. Even if right. one eventually moves to the bench, they're still going to be playing 30 plus minutes a night, which means like 15, 16 minutes together, no matter what the situation is. So them learning how to play together is important. Um, God, I lost my train of thought. But you're right, though. Kyrie will do that. Yeah. yeah. I had, oh, yes, a painful thing with Dion Waiters. You guys might forget this. So the Cavs and Pelicans were tied in lottery odds. Uh, They they had the exact same record. They did a heads or tails coin flip for combination of balls. The Cavs won the flip. And because they won the coin flip, they got Dion instead of Anthony Davis. Um, Which, yeah, if it was Kyrie, Anthony Davis, and LeBron, that that would have been something interesting, I, I think. (laughs) <laughs> which I, no one think... no one's here for Cavs fans complaining about lottery luck but you know True. if if you're going to win the lotteries and the years you win it are the years where Embiid gets hurt and has to sit out the next two seasons or yep. the Anthony Bennett draft <laughs> yeah that's kind of, that kind of sucks especially after you just lost out on Anthony Davis yeah, and you know what? Two picks right after Dion's Dame Lillard. Not that you were taking Lillard to follow Kyrie, but you know you always look back at those and and they and they sting. So, but you know what? Let's get to this year's team because this year's team to me is super fun. And you know, got off to to kind of a hot start. Um, Sexton has been has been really solid all year, but really really came out of the gates hot. Sort of tapered off since the the team, not necessarily Sexton. So, I gotta ask, where is the organization currently? If we're mm-hmm. talking about organizational development from a you know lottery, you know a, a team that's basically gunning for the number one pick to a playoff contender, where are they on that spectrum? 
So I, I think where they are is a year away from making the playoffs. Um, I, I said this going into the season. My prediction was 27 wins, which is looking pretty good. They, that's mm-hmm. basically what they're on pace for. And I made that prediction with the assumption that Kevin Love would have played more than two games at this point. Um, <laughs> but you don't uh, have Jared Allen. Yeah, true. Um, and well, I, I thought Drummond would play a little more than he has too, but uh, I will gladly take the swap with uh, Jared Allen. Um, but what this season is really about right now, they're starting four guys that are 22 and younger, though that requires growing pains. Like you are always going to lose games. You're going to have inconsistency. You're, you're going to have games that you should have won that you lost. Maybe you steal a game or two, but really it takes a lot to learn how to win in the NBA. And often guys don't do it until they're 25, 26. So I, I think what they're doing this year is trying their best to be competitive, to build a culture of accountability. Hey, we got enough depth that if a guy's not doing the right things, we can pull him. We, we can go out there and, and put someone else in. And the hope is that by going through the growing pains this season, now that they'll finally have some flexibility in this offseason and probably one more high pick, they can kind of do what Atlanta did, which is invest in your draft capital, make that high pick, uh, and round out the roster with rotation players that can help kind of accentuate what your young core is. So to me, the only guys that are kind of locks to, to be part of this team's future are Garland, Sexton, Okoro, uh, Nance, and Allen. Those those five are kind of your core. And then you're hoping, hey, maybe we add a Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley or uh, Suggs and and mm-hmm. maybe a few rotation players and, and go for the playoffs next year. But, I mean, you, you saw with Atlanta, I, th- I think they made the move one year too early where they Correct. hadn't gone through the growing pains. They hadn't learned how to win yet. And just spending money isn't going to get you there, even in a weird COVID season. But, you know, 12, 16 months ago, and maybe this is just the national media just picking on Cleveland in some capacity, but there was no indication that mm-hmm. the Sexton, the Sexland, 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 that that was actually going to be something that is viable. What have you seen most from the two guards this year? that you maybe and maybe you don't think this way but that might make you think this is a part of the future is it that garland has taken a step forward as a playmaker is it that sexton is just a, an extremely good scorer mm-hmm. what is it that you're seeing out of these two guys where you go yeah this can work because 12 16 months ago that might not have been the case yeah, I, I think there's encouraging signs. They do seem to play better with one another and they play well off each other. Sexton has become a more dominant scorer this year while dominating the ball less. He's not dribbling as much. He's playing off ball. And that saved energy he's translated into being a better playmaker. His assists are way up this year. Uh, his defense has improved. Uh, if uh, you subscribe to some metrics, he's made the biggest defensive leap out of anyone in the league uh, mm-hmm. to this point. Still not a great defender, but, you know, making use of that 6'8 wingspan that he has. T- to me, what kind of encourages me is that we've seen dynamic smaller backcourts work, uh, especially when they have good rim protection on the inside. I mean, Conley and Mitchell is a shorter backcourt than what the Cavs have and really profiles in a very similar way. Uh, you, you look at Colin Sexton's stats, he's scoring more points, more efficiently, more assists than Mitchell did at that age. That's encouraging. Uh, Darius Garland, is he's taken that step forward that you hoped. I, I think a lot of the times when people were looking at what he was last season, um, one, when you're not close to the situation, you're not looking for all the context, which was, He's coming off two knee surgeries uh, after his college season, wasn't fully healthy, didn't have a training camp, didn't have a summer league, uh, and was really playing his first games healthy this season. So in a lot of ways, it almost is kind of like his rookie year. Uh, So what makes me feel good about it is you do see those backwards, like Conley and Mitchell, like Lowry and Van Vliet, um, like uh, even OKC running multiple point guards, um Lillard McCollum. Dame, yeah, Lillard and McCollum. Uh there, there's a lot of examples out there of those type of backcourts that can work. And especially with Jared Allen in the mix now, yes. you can see how they're building kind of their version of Utah East. And you add another kind of playmaking wing in here in the draft. I, I really do think that uh they could be a, a dynamic team in the near future. So 
a lot has talked about the backcourt and obviously rightfully so those guys are super talented and the future's bright and they're still babies. They're so mm-hmm. young. Um, but you have to, you have to think there, there's not many bigger swing pieces in the Eastern conference than a Coro, mm-hmm. because if a Coro hits right. And the Cavs really have something there. All of a sudden we know what we have with Jared Allen, right? You know, we sort of see the growth we're already getting from the backcourt. If Okoro hits all of a sudden, and you know, you obviously know what Nance is, you're, you're sort of cooking with gas here. So, talk me through Okoro's rookie season. What do we like, and where is he on the spectrum in terms of where does he fit in the future? Mm-hmm. So he's someone that is as raw offensively as advertised. Um, I, I think the mechanics of the jump shot are better than it was in college, which is encouraging. Uh, that was something that they had mentioned before the draft. It has been true, and he's shown a willingness to shoot, but he's still not comfortable with it. Uh, the base is a little inconsistent. There's work that can be done. Uh, one of the reasons why I was high on the Cavs taking him is they have a history of improving jump shots. Like they have a really good player development staff. Jetty Osmond was not able to shoot coming in. He can shoot. Larry Nance could not shoot. Colin Sexton couldn't shoot in college. He's now a prolific three-point shooter. Uh, so if they can get a coral to just average, that is going to make a huge difference uh, in, in kind of what the ceiling of this team is because on a night-to-night basis, they are asking him, consistently to take the toughest defensive assignment they believe in trial by fire he is guarding lebron one night he's guarding dame the next like uh he did a great job on harden he's done a great job on trey young this season um and like it's difficult because when you're guarding that level of score you can play perfect defense and they'll still hit the shot but that's valuable experience for a guy like a coral so then you start learning okay it's not enough to contest i need to go out there and make sure these guys are catching the ball in situations where they're less comfortable. We, we need to throw them out of the rhythm and, and do other things, which is all really valuable experience. And a big thing of what the Cavs are doing and part of the thought process that went into picking Okoro is Kobe Altman is incredibly involved in Team USA. And Darius Garland, Colin Saxon, Isaac Okoro, Jared Allen, these are all guys that went through Team USA that are have a reputation of really hard workers. And the other nice thing is they're friends. Like they're friends off right. court. They, they don't have to team up in Miami if they all click right, right, because, right, right. because because it's already working out. So they're betting on guys that fit the culture they want to build. Um, and, and outside of uh, Kevin Porter Jr., they, they haven't really taken any swings outside of that mold. So I, I think the hope is that with Okoro's crazy work ethic, because apparently it's <laughs> up there in, in uh, the lore of the Team USA program, that he can develop, he can round out his game and be that kind of impact guy. Because th- this wasn't supposed to be a really strong draft class. So if he pans out and ends up being like, even let's say like a Mikhail Bridges in, in that kind of mold, wow. Like that makes OG a huge, huge difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, OG would also be pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Justin, what the hell are they going to do with Kevin Love? Is is uh, he uh, is he salary filler at this at this point? What are we looking at here? Because one of the biggest issues that we have in the NBA right now is either the contracts are too big, as we're seeing with Andre Drummond, where teams would like to get in on him but have to put three or four contracts together to get them. Or they don't have enough contracts to make something work for a star player. Mm -hmm. What the hell's going to happen here? Ah, boy. So, I mean, it obviously doesn't help that he had had to be pulled from last night's game um, very shortly after playing. Just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe there was some potential for something to happen in this deadline, but he's clearly not healthy enough for that. I, I think what you'd hope is that Come this summer, all of a sudden, there's just two years left on his contract. There was a whole lot of teams that saved space because they thought this was going to be the best free agent class ever. All of a sudden, those free agents aren't on the market. So maybe as a consolation prize, you take a a swing at Kevin Love. Maybe maybe a young team in a non-glamour market uh, gives up uh, expiring contracts and like a second round pick or something like that. Maybe maybe that's the direction they go to clear up space. Um, I, I know... What Kevin Love brings off the court uh, is valuable to them still. Uh, He's someone that's calling up Colin Sexton after every single game, uh, talking him through stuff. Uh, He's been a great veteran leader off the court. I honestly feel for the guy because last season he played all but seven games. 
he, he was healthy for the most part last season. And now you have the most competitive Cavs team they've had since LeBron left, and mm-hmm. he's not able to take part in it. He's having this quad slash Achilles type issue that has kept him out of the lineup. And that really sucks. Like, I, I feel for the guy, and my mind is still there. It hasn't even gone to the selfish place of, my God, could they use Kevin Love out on the court? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I I don't think there's going to be any move this season. Maybe this offseason is where you finally see something happen. So his best-case scenario there, he becomes tradable. He becomes enough of an asset again where he's tradable. Mm-hmm. Or is better case that, hey, he's not going to necessarily get back to an all-star level, but on a team that sort of lacks some real, real, like, lights-out shooting, maybe Love can provide that in that role at that position. So the, the question is, is Cleveland's goal to get him back to being an asset, or is Cleveland's goal to, like, if he can get back in the rotation, amazing? I, I think it's a bit of both. Um I think the latter was more kind of the mindset going into this year. I I think both sides would be open to a trade, but they kind of understand it's like it's like the Chappelle's joke. Uh, you you got to play your way to freedom, and and that's what it really comes down to. Like Kevin Love right. needs to be playing enough play enough for someone to trade for him, and uh, like there there's something he can bring to the table. Um, I guess their willingness to just dump him or, or move on is going to be based on what type of opportunities are available in the offseason. Um, I know last year it was reported that there was offers on the table for just expiring contracts, but no pick. And they didn't want to go that route yet. Maybe if they had a do-over, they, they'd go down that route um, with, with the benefit of hindsight. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I think there was reason to believe, hey, Al Horford got traded. All these other guys got traded and can't contribute as much as he can. Well, now he's not even playing. So that that makes things a lot more complicated. So it's really hard to get a sense on what the priority would be for Kevin Love when uh, a lot of that is going to be determined by whether or not he's even able to play for the rest of the season. And you got to think if he can get back in the rotation, there is a GM out there that is sitting there thinking, for the value that for what I can get him for, I can use him. It's just get him back into the rotation because he does have, as you've already mentioned, the intangibles. He is a good basketball player. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you should be chasing your own guards around the perimeter. Of course not. Like he, that was never. He did it once and it worked. The, the rest of the time, not so much. But yeah. we we do want to get some trades, and I am going to defer to my brother. Oh, Sean, here. Sean, hold on. Imagine love in. Sorry to interrupt you. Imagine no, love in the, in the Blake role in Brooklyn. Well, that, that's what I was taught thinking about too. Is like, is there a possibility? Hey, man, where they're just man, like, imagine him open. swapped for like, let's say Portland's expiring contract. So like Rodney Hood, who would probably need to get rerouted to another team, <laughs> um, like Collins, and, and like one other piece to to make the money work. Um, like Dame, CJ, Rocco, Love, Nurkic makes a lot of sense. Like uh, if they didn't have to give up more than that, that, that would be something that could work. You, you get him back in his hometown and whatnot, but that's not going to happen if he can't play and no, the trade and, deadlines yeah, next week. Right. So and it, that's the it's big just point. not going to happen. If he can't get in the rotation, it, that's why I think, I just think that if a guy with his, his historical stature, which is that he at one point was, you know, a top what 15 player in the nba top Top 20 i I mean that's that's a thing that people forget like lebron wasn't coming back to cleveland if they don't trade for kevin love because kevin love was supposed to be the number two right ended up being the number three but the thought was he was going to be the number two the nba changed on kevin love in a hurry though just picking up picking on people and uh you know uh, defensively and just but again that's my point i just i just think that he could offer a team something if he's healthy, but he, unfortunately he's not, seems like a great guy. And I, w- I hope nothing but the best for him, but Ian, let's trade Kevin love. Let's get to some trades that might work. That could oh be something of substance here for the Cleveland Cavaliers as they potentially either. And you know what, actually I'm going to put a full quick pause on this. And I'm going to ask you straight up, Justin, mm-hmm. given what the Cleveland Cavaliers are right now, should they be looking at, a Jared Allen type move, which is potentially step in to facilitate, take on some money. God, that was such a bring steal. It, it was oh. such a great deal. <laughs> bring in some talent that isn't necessarily going to push them to the playoffs this year. I, I, but by 
with the future in mind mm-hmm. or should they be just full out sellers? Because then we can get to what we have in mind. Yeah, so I, I do think if there was a type of move like that available, like let's say Laurie Markinen or John Collins or something like that, you do that because that is still keeping your long-term goals in mind, but helping bring in someone that can help the young guys along there that fits along with the course. So I do think they're at a point where it used to be just bringing guys, bringing, taking some bad money, get assets, restock the cupboard. Now they need to be a little more careful. I think they need to think, how are these guys going to play with the young core? Because I, I think when they got Andre Drummond for essentially free, the thought was, well, he's going to be a big expiring going into a great free agency class where Giannis and all these guys are available. Turns out they're not. That kind of sucks, but it was a smart gamble. But now I don't think you're in that same position where you're going to take on a contract like that and get assets. You have to be just a little more careful. So um, when it comes to Kevin Love, I think you're kind of pure seller. But when you're talking about the team overall, I, I do think if you can buy someone that fits with the young core, get some proven talent in there, you absolutely go for that. So I, we did some digging on the trade machine today. And we, we want to throw some at you. And look, I, I want you to be brutally honest. If you think these are dog shit, tell us you think they're dog shit. I, I, I um, tend to be brutally honest, so that works. Love that. Love that. So the first one is my personal favorite. And it actually involves Mr. Love. And obviously, this all has to do with the fact that he's healthy. But you sort of start cruising around and you mention sort of a, you know, maybe a middle or smaller market, someone that's not going to lure free agents. And I stumbled across Oklahoma City. So the one we wanted to look at was, so Cleveland would acquire acquire Al Horford and their old friend George Hill. Mm-hmm. And going back to Oklahoma City would be Love, the Torian Prince contract, and Washington's 2022 second round pick. The, the idea being that Cleveland can buy half a guarantee in that second, the final year of Horford's contract versus the Love contract. And maybe they can flip Horford as an expiring that year because it's half guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So give me a grade on that one. I don't love that. So here's why I don't love it, because Al Horford needs to play center. Um, we, we saw that with Philly. And I just think even though you are saving a little bit uh, in terms of money with Horford, it's not as great of a fit. You don't have that same connection uh, to, to the fan base, to, to the title team. He's uh, Love is still a great off-court presence, so I, I think you prioritize that in that situation. And when you're talking about the final year, yeah, it's a little less. But one of the nice things and one of the things that differentiates the Cavs from, like, let's say, the Pacers or, or these other teams that have to operate on budget is no matter how bad this team is, Dan Gilbert is willing to spend money. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's what it comes down to in a buyout, I, I don't think they're going to hesitate uh, in that final year if that's the direction this ends up going. Um, so I, I don't really love that. The other thing is Torian Prince, I, I actually really like what he's brought to the table for them so far. Like I'm open to moving him. And if you can get an asset back for him when he was supposed to be like, the punishment or or like the downside of the jared allen trade like that would be great and uh, apparently teams like boston and miami have interest in them so maybe maybe that's something that happens next week at the deadline here um but i i don't i I just don't really feel great about the deal i don't think uh from a culture standpoint george hill would be happy coming back to cleveland either so just keeping that locker room in mind uh i i wouldn't go that route in a vacuum yeah it makes sense it just, I, I, I worry about the fit. Okay, n- uh, next one. <laughs> Cleveland would acquire Marvin Bagley and Corey Joseph, and you'd send out Chetty, mm-hmm. Torian Prince, mm-hmm. and a couple seconds. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do that. Um, I would take the upside swing on Bagley. I, I, I'm not convinced on the fit, but again, uh, given the cast, player development staff, hope that he can get that three-point volume up because the, the percentage has been decent. Maybe that, some stretch potential there. Um, at the very least, you're, you're getting off Jetty and Prince's money, and that gives you some flexibility if this move doesn't work out. So uh, I, I, I'd i be on board with that. I, I think that's an upside swing. And uh, Corey Joseph, great locker room presence. Yeah, need is. a backup point guard. Um, I'm I'm always pro that. And uh, helps get the Canadian quota back in back in line because it's 
it'd been a long time where the Cavs at least had one Canadian and for them to have none right now is uh it's it's offensive to me speaking of the <laughs> so Canadian let, quota oh, would you bring Wiggins back oh yeah 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 I mean if you're talking about like a Drummond for Wiggins swap or something like that yeah you would need you would need to obviously because th- he's their salary filler so yeah. there ha- would have to be an asset going back that they can potentially use and uh, my guess is they would just take love just to have him as a salary that they can throw into a trade later on the problem is Wiggins has actually played well yeah, so that's, that's the thing. Like, I was yeah. I was on board with that going into this season. I was like, yeah, take take a, a swing at him. Maybe he finally improves now that he's not with the Wolves. That's sometimes a, a safe bet because I don't think there is a worse organization in the league right now than the Wolves. Um, but, yeah, I mean, certainly now, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Go, let's go get Wiggins. Let's, I, I can pull out my Andrew Wiggins Cavs jersey and uh, wear it again proudly. Well, because the thing is, right, is that they, what would be ideal is if they can get a big scoring wing, right? Which yeah, is obviously that. you'd like, you'd love, um, you know, for, for a Coral to sort of get there, but that's going to be development. That's going to take time. And I have to say, I racked my brain all day. All I was trying to do was get Brandon Ingram to the Cavs. And I just. I, I wanted that this offseason, especially if they wouldn't pay him. I'm like, sign and trade, sign and trade, get Kevin Love there, uh, th- throw some picks, uh, like, yes, whatever it takes. Sadly, I, I don't. I don't think that's in the cards. So let me ask you then, and then I'll, then we got to get. Then we're going to get to our next segment. But let me ask you, if Ingram did become available and it meant you had to move one of the guards, which one would you move? Saxton. Mm. Um, Ooh. I am still. I am still a believer I, that I love Darius Garland. Garland yeah. I think Garland has the highest upside out of anyone on the Cavs right now. Uh, I am a big, big believer in him. Uh, I would love to see him be just a little more assertive. Um, I'm hoping for that after the All-Star break. But you, you take out the games he was on a minute restriction. You're talking about 17 and 6 right now. And like the, the usage rate has gone up now that Jared Allen's there and he's playing pick and roll heavy ball. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think Sexton clearly has the higher floor. He's already a really good player. He's playing at like All-Star level. Um, but when you're talking about swapping him for an All-Star, uh, I, I think you, you kind of get an answer there of, all right, well, this is just a more valuable position. So I, I, I would go with that. Uh, I, I would also have a hard time believing new Orleans would, uh, be interested in Garland for Ingram, because at that point you're, uh, you're kind of just betting on upside and how much, how much does new Orleans regret trading back in that draft instead of just taking Garland at four? What did they, they end up with J- Jackson Hayes, right? Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander right. Walker. He well, did Walker. dunk all over some dude last night. Though. He like, did. He but, did murder him. He yes. Absolutely yeah, but, but yeah, him. no. He, I'm glad it was Reggie Jackson. It, listen, they're <laughs> trying to fill their Canadian quota too. That's why they got Neil Alexander Walker in there. But you know, I, I, it makes sense. But like, even, but even no. if you take like DeAndre Hunter there, who went Who's at been that great. Pitch, but, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I have to. I have to say though, if if it's Sexton, Nance, you know. You're, no, you're you know, they're not doing no, it. No, no, hang on, hang both on. Both of hang those, on. both of those, they burned down the arena. <laughs> I, I agree. Nance, Nance may be the most beloved guy in Cleveland right now. Like he is an unbelievable person, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I tried to avoid putting Nance in any trades, but for New Orleans, getting two guys like that, if you are going to move Ingram, makes a whole lot of sense. So, oh yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. He's the but I, I tried Davis all piece. Day. They, they can't do it. Go yeah. So, here we go. I guess Let's, Zion is the piece. To be yes, fair, Zion's the piece. Yeah. Zion's the piece. <laughs> Let's get to the general NBA now. Let's discuss some of the bigger topics we got going on. So there's no better way to do this than to jump into a game of fill in the blanks. Rules are simple here. Just like you're in the second grade or is in grade two, as those Canadians call it. Just fill in what you think is the best answer. Ready? Okay. So last night you tweeted that you'd prefer the number one pick in this draft, which is presumably going to be Cade Cunningham to the Hornets, to Hornets guard LaMelo Ball. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, the fact that LaMelo can even be in this discussion based on his pre-draft stuff is is pretty amazing. And, and I found that tweet that really jumped out to me because earlier, I think last week, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer was having this discussion where he would take LaMelo over under 22 stars like Trey Young and John Morant. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, of the following five players you would rather have blank than Cade Cunningham. And the players are John Morant, Trey Young, 
Jaron Jackson Jr., Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and your boy, Darius Garland. None of the above. Give me Kate. Wow. I, I think Cade is going to come in and have a Luka-type impact right away. Um, big playmaking wings that play on both ends of the floor are the most valuable thing in the NBA. Um, John Moran, I love him. He's so exciting. I worry about his injury. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the way he lands freaks me the hell out. Um, a lot of these other guys you listed are point guards. Very special, high impact players, but it's also the deepest position in the league. It's the most replaceable True. position because every year there's great point guards coming in. Um, it Getting a two-way wing that can play make is like having a quarterback in the nfl that can make all the throws and run like it is the cheat code you you get one of those whether it be luca lebron Giannis, uh you take that and run and uh i'm i'm taking not not only am i taking Cade, i'm taking evan mobley over that list of guys too wow wow okay spice spice well yeah lay it on (laughs) well let's graduate from the second grade Okay. Let's get to high school with a little gambling. That's when I started to gamble. I don't know about you, Justin, but that's when I started. <laughs> and it's not a fill in the blank. It's just an easy question. Lamelo right now for the rookie of the year is minus 900 on Bodog. Minus 900. The closest, you got to think the big three, Halliburton at plus 750, Edwards at 13 to one, Wiseman at 20 to one. None of these are worth a little sprinkle, right? I don't think so. I mean, shout out to Bodog. Uh, love being a brand ambassador for uh, Bodog. Um, so shout get out to them. Get on me on board, Justin. What do I got? <laughs> they've have they've taken more money than I know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, promo code Justin BD on Bodog. Um, no, I, I wouldn't. I, only one you could sprinkle some on Halliburton if you were skeptical right. about Lamelo's health, because that that is a big thing with Lamelo is he has had trouble staying healthy in the past. So if he were to miss 15, 20 games, because thing to remember with this season is it is ridiculously rushed not only did these guys not have a proper run-up to this season you're playing like 40 games in 60 days in the second half of the season so guys are going to break down guys are, are going to get banged up and teams are going to be extra careful uh especially when they aren't playing for this season now the, the hornets are in the playoff mix right now so maybe they don't qualify for that but if you were to play some money do it on halliburton on the off chance Lamella misses enough time to get him in that conversation. And you have a Brogdon over Embiid rookie of the year. We just saw it. Speaking of Embiid, we just saw it. The guy was clearly the favorite to win the MVP. And yes, LeBron's odds are always boosted, but at plus 160 for LeBron, like even that's crazy. Jokic, I think is plus 200, but, Mm -hmm. but at plus 750, you can't really sprinkle. That's right in the middle. Yeah. You kind of got, you kind of got to commit to a plus 750. So unless you think Edwards is going to just, it's, it's not, it's not worth it. I I agree with you. You you saying sprinkle warm my heart uh, as someone that was going through college uh, during the heyday of the score and listening (laughs) to Cam Stewart (laughs) sprinkling a little on the money line. uh, I just, it just warm my heart. No, you're talking units at plus 750. You're talking like half the unit. You you can't, you can't do anything else. It's at 20 to one for Wiseman. He's already missed as much time as what Lamelo would have to miss for. No, no, no chance. I do. Can't do it. You can't do it. Edwards. Can't I mean, Edwards has great dunks, but I mean, at the end of the day, I agree with not you. to go all Nate Duncan, but he's shooting 38-31. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is true, though. I mean, it, it, Edwards, you know, I want to get excited about the dunks and stuff, but it's hard not to at least understand that, yes, he's 19. Obviously, it's going to get better, but, you know, very low efficiency type guy. So, I mean, if he's ever going to turn it around, that's where he needs to start. Yeah. Um, that's probably right. just not a thing that happens this season. Like right. yeah, uh, of you course. can see the physical. And that's okay. Like, yeah. It's exactly. stay, stay away. It's a stay away. Just exactly. Stay away. Tyreek Evans won rookie of the year over Steph. You you can take some time here. Michael Carter Williams won over who knows? He shouldn't have won. Oh uh, yeah, that that was a Ponzi scheme season though. <laughs> yeah. but that's the proceed. Russell Westbrook of rookie of the years. So that's yeah. And, and and the Sixers knew it too. They're like, We're we're dedicating our entire season to pumping stats into this guy because we don't love this pick and we're gonna sell high immediately. That's right. All right, next one. As we all know, Danny Ainge and the Celtics are synonymous with leaking the we almost made that trade or player X was number one on our board. It's gotten so wild that Twitter explodes 
the moment that any type of leak like that happens. I think the last one was real GM. So with that in mind, your favorite Danny Ainge almost moment is blank. Oh man. So I think my favorite almost was when they almost traded Jalen Brown for Kawhi. Um, that would have been a call. That was when they still had Kyrie. And I, I think that was when Toronto <laughs> traded for him instead to me, like Jalen Brown has blossomed into a hell of a player. I love mm-hmm. Jalen really Brown. Is. Um, he, he is my absolute best case fever dream version of Isaac Okoro because their stats were identical in college absolutely identical same struggles there same struggles their rookie year uh I I know that's uh, a comp that even people in the cast front office made and part why they they bet on him because here's a high character high work ethic guy that comes in with these physical tools but come on man Come on, man. Kyrie and Kawhi would have been impossible with Tatum. With Tatum. No, no. That is my favorite almost. And uh, it might, the, the other trade that sticks out to me, I guess it wasn't an almost, but in, when we talk about the divinity of Danny Ainge in the eyes of Celtics fans, the fact that they offered like four For first round picks. Yes. Yeah, uh, did they want? Uh, yeah, they wanted. They, they, they wanted, wanted Justice Winslow. It was the Kaminsky yeah. pick. That's right. Yeah, it was the Kaminsky. Good lord, that is still hilarious. How, how poorly that that would have panned out. But you know what? <laughs> it, it, it almost. It yeah, almost, almost, so close. I'm going back to gambling. Okay, because I'm I'm excited now. We got guys lurking, right? So we had Embiid. He he was he was in the driver's seat. Um. I liked a couple weeks ago, or even even just a week ago, taking a longer shot on someone, right? The, the people to me that are out are James Harden and Giannis. Mm-hmm. No matter how good they do, they're out to me. Harden quit on his team in Houston, which won't be forgotten this year. And Giannis has won two years in a row. So the, the voting public just will not vote for them. In my opinion, if I'm sitting there going... I'm going to put my hard-earned capital on something. I'm not going to go two terrible storylines, even yeah. though guys like Lillard and Doncic and Harden are balling right now. Mm-hmm. So here's my question. It, it's kind of the same as before, Justin. Of these guys, who would you I, I already have an answer for you. Who, who would you pick? pick I, outside of- for the listeners, I'm going, to, I'm going to mention the odds. LeBron plus 160. Which oh. kind of t- says it all, but uh, Jokic at plus two hundred. We already talked about this already. Embiid to come back at plus seven hundred. Harden ten to one. Curry thirteen to one. Giannis fifteen to one. Doncic fifteen to one. Or Lillard at twenty two to one. And if you have someone else, I have someone else. Enter here. I have someone else. Jim VP. Jimmy Butler. Look at the mm. record of the Miami Heat with and without him. And yes, he missed some time, but that time was because he got COVID. And I, I think media would have a tough time saying in this season where they like everyone's been kind of complicit. Like we know that this is for the money. It kind of sucks. It's a little risky. But I mean, at the end of the day, these guys would have been playing at the Y uh, if there wasn't an NBA season. So maybe they would have been at risk anyways. But when you look at 100 to one, 400 to one, man, <laughs> there you go. There's some value. Look how good they've been with and without him. But they, I think they had the second best defense in the league. Record is fantastic. If they get up to like the two seed in the East, especially if Embiid's missing some time or, or maybe even higher, man, look out for that. That is your dark horse. That is the darkest of dark horses. But if you're looking for a dark horse, Jimmy Butler is my guy. I... Ian and I had, we did all the over-unders for the East and the West, had two different guests on. And we said, if Steph Curry takes this team to a winning record, he needs to be considered. I think if we're talking Sprinkle at 13 to 1, I think he needs to be considered. But I think the narrative, and I see your face. We don't do YouTube, so no one else is going to see it. But I agree with you. I I just don't think think there's enough around us. I don't think, I don't think the it. team sucks that much. Like, no, it I, doesn't. I, it's better than people thought. Everyone thought, well, Kelly Oubre is terrible. Wiggins is, is who he is. Draymond hasn't scored 10 points in six years. And 
here we are with Steph with the ball in his hand the entire time. He's going to pad his stats, but they've been better. I think they have a winning record right now. I think that they 18 I, and 14 or something. Well, they're, they're the ninth seed right now, which is freaking me out because it keeps the possibility of them winning the lottery and then getting the Wolves pick at four. Because if they get one and four, um, I'm going to quit. Like, I'm, I'm just never going to watch <laughs> basketball again. Um, so Steph has been fantastic, and he does deserve MVP consideration. But I do think pointing to the roster as the reason is not the right idea. Like, I, I think there's limitations to the roster. But I think part of why they're struggling and looking as bad as they are is coaching. I, I don't think Steve Kerr has done a particularly good job this season. Uh, coaches can have good and bad years. They can have good and bad games. And the reliance on, like, start of the season we're still going to run the same offense where Steph gives up the ball and we're going to trust on the IQ of his teammates to find him on the relocate. No, you don't have that same basketball mm-hmm. IQ around him. So you are willingly taking the ball out of your best player's hands consistently. And you're still making Steph run these back screens. You're still making them do all the old things rather than adjusting your system to your personnel. And the best coaches will play multiple styles. Um, Greg Popovich, great example of that. Nick Nurse has adjusted his style. Um, like the the best coaches always make it. Even God, even Tibbs has made adjustments with the Knicks. Yeah, like, the the defense is different. Minutes are still a little higher than you'd like. They're, they're still your signature Tibbs, but I I just think Steve Kerr hasn't done a great job. So to give Steph the MVP because Steve Kerr hasn't done a great job this year. Do- doesn't sit Tough right narrative. with me yeah no, yeah especially when there are really worthy candidates as well which steph is putting up an mvp caliber season it's just not this year i mean that happens yep all right next one teams like the raptors heat mavs celtics pelicans wizards all have fallen short so far of expectations for a variety of reasons so yep. let's eliminate miami because as we've talked about, Jimmy is dragging them back from the dead, and they are very relevant, extremely relevant, and honestly kind of scary. <laughs> of the rest, so the rest of the group is Raptors, Mavericks, Celtics, Pelicans, Wizards. Of the rest of that group, Blank has the best chance to make a run and finish where they expected to at the beginning of the season. Ooh. Um, I'm going to say of that group, so I think there's real issues with Boston and I, Danny Angie is going to come real close to making a, a trade that makes a difference uh, and, and finish the season strong. It's going to come real close, but I, I just think they're going to come up a little short. I'm going to go sleeper to make a second half push as the Indiana Pacers. Because uh, they Ooh, were didn't even have him on here like that. Yeah, because they're getting healthy at the right time. Karis Levert is back He's in back, the mix. Yeah. Um, uh, Brogdon's been playing great this year. Mm-hmm. They're also, uh, now I'm drawing a blank. TJ Warren, TJ Warren's coming back too. So that is two really important starters with a very good team. Like when you really think about Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, uh, Sabonis and Turner, that's a hell of a starting lineup and they have depth and they have good coaching. They they can play on both ends of the floor. I I really like them to make a second half push that that's, that's my team that's going to elevate themselves because I mean, you look at it, like going into the all-star break, only four teams in the East had a 500 or better record. It's a little better now, but we know that can change in a week. The, the Knicks went from having the easiest schedule <laughs> to one of the hardest. They're they're going right. to fall back to earth. Uh, we, we talked about it with the Hornets, that they're going to go through some lumps too, and the schedule is going to be tough with them. So my team's the Pacers. Love that. My last one. Your podcast is named after the block. Mm-hmm. That, in my opinion, I'm sure that we all agree, is LeBron James' most memorable moment as a Cavalier in a positive way. Not him sitting in an interview in that terrible shirt saying, I'm taking my talents <laughs> to South Beach. That would most likely be the most memorable moment as LeBron James in general way, to Cavs fans. The, no, the that's actually the most that's, memorable of his career, though, isn't it? What, what's say, the bigger moment than that? I would say the most negative moment. Um, I know that's not where you're going with Sean. Oh, but, but my, my actual question, Justin, was going to be, okay. what is his most memorable moment as a Cav outside of the block? So outside of the interview and the block, what is his most memorable moment? It can be bad. It can be good. It's game five against the Pistons. Uh, that was the, the game that, <laughs> that 
warmed a young Justin's heart. And <laughs> I, I had a buddy. So I, I really like the Pistons. I, I modeled myself after Rasheed Wallace, um, which again, this is a state of basketball on the prairies in, in Canada. I was Baseline 16. turnaround? I was 6'2 playing center. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was, I mean, I was undersized, but I, I would play with the Rashid Wallace game. I, I was captain of the team, so I'm out there. I'm being vocal. I'm getting in guys' faces, uh, getting in their ears, bleeding after most games because someone's thrown an elbow at me or attacked me in some way. Um, so I, I love the Pistons, and my buddy is a big Pistons fan, but we had a bet going into that season. That might have been my first gamble, uh, <laughs> was betting on the Cavs to win that series. So that is the most memorable moment to me. Uh, that that really stands out. That that was just one hell of a game uh, that we haven't really seen the like of uh, since then. I will correct you though. The negative moment that stands out to me isn't that picnic table of a shirt uh, or picnic cloth <laughs> of a shirt that he wore during the decision. It is him stepping up to the line against Boston and shooting yep. free throws left-handed and shooting left-handed in that game as well because that's kind of when I felt like he quit on the team. And that drove me absolutely nuts. I uh, didn't know that. How did yeah, I not know no, this? Yeah. Google LeBron left-handed free throw. And uh, yeah, that's that's what you get. So there was kind of like a mystery injury against Chicago. No one could tell if it was real or not. But he just started taking shots left-handed against Boston. And uh, that, uh, that freaked me out. So not he, game six in the garden. That's uh, not your most memorable moment? Because I that was one of the... One of the longest. That, that is one of the moments so that, that, that is sticks a, with me. That is a testament to what LeBron has done because there's game six against Boston. Uh, no, no regard for human life. There yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is LeBronto, uh, where he hit oh, every single tried shot to make the entire podcast without you bringing. Come on, up. man. Yeah, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah. There's LeBronto. Uh, there is him spinning the ball uh, <laughs> on his fingers. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. walked him. Um, my, my, my favorite, uh, I mean, there's so many Raptors cast moments because I am surrounded by Raptors fans. My entire family is Raptors fans outside of me. Uh, so Demari Carroll being brought in to be the base, the, the LeBron stopper. And then for LeBron to go baseline and dent the ball on the rim because <laughs> he was so damn open. Uh, that's up there. So there, I mean, there is countless LeBron moments and that's really a testament to what he brought to the table and just how great he was during those Cavs years. Because, yeah, I mean, game six against Boston, you can absolutely point to that one. Um, he he was, I mean, he's LeBron. He, the shot he's against fantastic. Orlando, he's got he's got numerous. Yeah, yeah, shot against. Uh, I mean, he had so many game winners in 2018 that that team should not made it out of the first round. No chance. Like, the only team that they comfortably beat was Toronto, and I picked Toronto in that series because I was like, they had no business beating the Pacers. That they lucked mm -hmm. out. They got a throwback Tristan game. Toronto's going to smoke them. Nope. And JV misses them. three at the at the rim, and here we are. All right, this it, is it, all it, starting to feel a little mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what you get for starting with CFL XFL. I, yeah, I yeah, come yeah. at your throats right at the end, yeah, right after getting go. you comfortable, right after getting you comfortable. All right, we made it. Here's the last one. So Kobe Altman comes to you, and he is promoted mm -hmm. to be the president of basketball operations, and he handpicks you as a successor, successor to be the Cavs GM. You did it. Congratulations. The only caveat is, though, he tells you that if this team isn't back to being a title contender in five years – you have to accept a lifetime role in Kazakhstan covering their water polo team. Ooh. Knowing that your five-year plan is blank. I would say I love the Cavs too much to let myself run it. And you can hire someone that is qualified. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I like a comfortable living. Uh, I, I don't think I'm ever going to do sports full-time. Uh, the podcast is a passion project and um, I'm very honored to uh, be part of the Cavs media family and brought in by them. But it's not something I'm looking to make a career out of. I value stability. I love living in Canada. I uh, can't see myself moving to the States. Um, he, he can go hire a very qualified general manager instead of my ass. Cause I, I'm very aware of what my strengths and weaknesses are. And I am under no delusions of thinking I could be a NBA general manager. I can absolutely critique stuff with hindsight, but no, right. no, no, it, it's, 
I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go live in the Middle East because as much as the money would have been nice uh, for those five years, uh, I, I know where this is heading. Well, you did it. You made it through an edition of the From the Stands podcast. Justin, thank you so much for coming on. Make sure you check him out. Make sure you're downloading the podcast. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, Cavsanada, at Cavsanada. Check yes, him out. Sir. He somehow has been adopted by Raptors Twitter even though he's a Cavaliers <laughs> fan. Did, uh, did they bother you more than Cavs fans, or, or what's going on there? So I've gotten more death threats from Raptors fans than just about anybody. It has been a long time. Uh, that was primarily in those playoff years, and I was a bit more of a dick than I am now. Um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I've i made so many friends with Raptors media. They're just a fantastic group uh, there. Uh, Blake Murphy, William Liu, um, got him. I should not start listing them all out. Uh, Girls with the Dimes and Dishes podcast do a fantastic job. Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, like, they're such a great group of media in Toronto. It is unbelievable. Uh, the Raptors are still so spoiled. So spoiled. Uh, so I, I've just really enjoyed interacting with them. And that's a, a big part of probably why, why you see me pop up in Raptors Twitter every now and then. Uh, especially now that I don't, I don't have the same juice. I don't have the same juice to, to make fun of you guys, but uh, who knows? Maybe uh, Kyle Lowry gets traded next week and you, you come back to that, the, the pack of mediocrity with, with the Cavs and, and we can have more games where it's uh, Kyrie versus Calderon. <laughs> well, you know what? When LeBron leaves, you lose a little bit of your gumption and that's okay. We, we get it. It happens. But Justin, I had to get the last shot in. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it, everyone. Ian, why don't you sign everyone off? Let's go. Thanks again for joining us. It was an absolute blast. I'm uh, I'm intrigued, even though I, I did unfollow you um, after the 2018 season. I'm not going to lie. I think I've, one had love, I've had a very yeah. love-hate relationship with you. I, it's feel like for two weeks I'll unfollow, and then I see something pop up on my feed, and I'm like, oh, that's good. i got to follow him again. So if you see those <laughs> notifications, that is me. Um, I, I know we really do appreciate you joining us. It was a blast. And everyone, stay safe out there. And uh, as always, guys, wear your mask.